This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mea Culpa Podcast. If Donald Trump has a superpower, it would not be the intense neon orange glow of his skin. Nor would it be his grotesque comb-over, a marvel of engineering and hairspray so strong he could pull Air Force One with just the back of his head. In my mind, Trump is most himself when he is suing someone, anyone, for just about anything. Over the years, these lawsuits number into the thousands, many of them filed by me against people who are unlucky enough to draw Trump's wrath. According to an exhaustive study by USA Today, this is amazing, Trump and his businesses have been involved in more than 4,000 lawsuits going back more than three decades. And it's a stunning number that serves as a testament to how the president, even before he was president, used the legal system when times were hard for him. Well, does anyone know more about litigation than Trump? Huh? Normal people treat the court system with respect and only sue another person if absolutely necessary. It's costly, time-consuming, and personally upsetting for the defendant. But that's the point. Trump was born without a heart or shame and is willing to step far beyond the lines of morality or public decency. And that includes the court system. For it's a way to settle scores, to punish enemies, silence critics, and scare people away from looking at him too closely. You love getting even. Oh, absolutely. You don't believe, you don't believe in the eye for the eye? You do. <laughs> no. I know you well enough. I think you do. But anyway, but... But it, tell me, I mean, you, you're going to get even with some people. Yeah, I know. If given the opportunity, if given the opportunity, I will get even with some people that were disloyal to me. Every woman lied when they came forward to hurt my campaign. Total fabrication. The events never happened. Never. All of these liars will be sued after the election is over. Now comes word that Trump has filed a lawsuit against the New York Times, three of its reporters, and his niece, claiming that they hatched an insidious plot to obtain his private records for a story about his tax history. Former President Donald Trump is suing his estranged niece and the New York Times over a bombshell 2018 story about his family's wealth and tax practices. The $100 million lawsuit accuses Mary Trump of breaching a settlement agreement by disclosing his tax records. In a statement, Mary Trump said of her uncle, quote, I think he's a loser and he's going to throw anything against the wall he can. It is desperation. The New York Times says it plans to challenge that lawsuit. The lawsuit alleges that the newspaper convinced Mary Trump to smuggle records out of her attorney's office and turn them over to the Times, despite a confidentiality agreement she signed in 2001 while settling a legal battle over the will of Frederick Trump, Donald's father, and Mary's grandfather. Their way of communicating with people, they... Um disagree with, shall we say, is to sue them. And that's exactly what they did. I guess this is how the Trump family communicates when they're not getting along. The suit, filed Tuesday, seeks damages in an amount to be determined at trial, but believed to be no less than $100 million from both Mary Trump and the New York Times. It follows a suit filed by Charles Harder on behalf of Donald Trump's brother Robert to try and stop Mary Trump and publisher Simon & Schuster from releasing her memoir, Too Much and Never Enough, How My Family Created the World's Most Dangerous Man. Judge Hal Greenwald ruled in the case that the 2001 confidentiality agreement had been too vaguely defined to stop her from writing about the sitting president and noted that her publisher had not been a signatory to that agreement. 
Robert Trump then died in August of 2020. New York Times reporters David Barstow, Susan Craig, and Russ Butner, who won the Pulitzer Prize for explanatory reporting in 2019 for what they revealed about the taxes the former president had refused to disclose and how little he paid in federal income taxes, also were in party to the confidentiality agreement Mary Trump had signed in 2001. But the ex-president's new lawsuit claims that they were directly responsible for it allegedly being broken, citing Mary Trump's interview with Molly Jung Fast on The Daily Beast's The New Abnormal podcast and claiming the reporters were motivated, at least in part, by their actual malice towards Donald Trump. You were ultimately the source for the tax story. Yeah, um, I'm actually, I'm really proud of that, but I have to be honest with you, I didn't even remember I had them. So, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's entirely down to the brilliant Suzanne Craig. I think he is a fucking loser, and he's gonna throw anything against the wall he can, said Mary Trump of her uncle's new lawsuit. It's desperation. The walls are closing in, and he is throwing anything against the wall that will stick. As is always the case with Donald, he'll try and change the subject. This is not a drill. It is an attack on the free press. It is also a former president doing something that, frankly, most former presidents never do, which is spend their time out of office suing journalists and family members they oppose. In something of the same spirit in which the former president often credited himself with boosting ratings at the news networks he considered his enemies, the lawsuit notes that the 2018 article received a record-breaking amount of attention, garnering more views than any previous article in the New York Times history, as the stock price of the Times rose 7.4% during the week of the publication of the 2018 article. A spokesperson for the paper told the Daily Beast on Tuesday night that the Times coverage of Donald Trump's taxes helped inform citizens through meticulous reportings on a subject of overriding public interest. This lawsuit is an attempt to silence independent news organizations and we plan to vigorously defend against it. The Times' Suzanne Craig said in a tweet, I knocked on Mary Trump's door. She opened it. I think they call that journalism. After the filing of the lawsuit, a spokesperson for Donald Trump issued a somewhat cryptic statement on his behalf, suggesting more litigation could be on the horizon. More to come, including on other people and fake news media, Trump said. Mary Trump's attorney, Theodore J. Boutros Jr. added, This is the latest in a long line of frivolous lawsuits by Donald Trump that target truthful speech and important journalism on issues of public concern. It is doomed to failure like the rest of his baseless efforts to chill freedom of speech and that of the press. Trump usually files lawsuits as an aggressive mechanism, right? This is his history, so he might file a lawsuit, for instance, to distract from other things that are going on around him or to try to send a message to people, maybe reminding folks that he does have non-disclosure agreements with them and that he will take to the courts to enforce them. It seems like a pretty foolish strategy, timing aside for one thing, if it goes far enough, he'll be subjected to discovery. This is the notoriously deposition or interview shy former president who would have to ultimately sit for a deposition here. 
So that seems to imply that he knows that this case, this is more of a, a stunt, perhaps a fundraising strategy, than it is a legitimate effort. Yeah. But New York has a relatively new statute, an anti-slap statute, mm-hmm. that will let Mary Trump seek a, a fast-track dismissal of the charges and to, to get attorney's fees, to have them awarded to her. So it looks like a bad legal strategy for, for the former president. Trump's history in the courtroom is littered with lies and false statements. The man is congenitally incapable of fucking telling the truth, as evidenced by the way the Trump campaign and its surrogates abused the court system during its attempt to overturn the 2020 election. Unfortunately for Trump, One of his people issued a memo that stated for all to see that they knew that the charges were all bullshit, but were carrying on anyway. That memo was recently unearthed. In a now infamous post-election news conference, the Trump campaign allowed its lawyers to claim voting machine company Dominion Voting Systems conspired with the software company Smartmatic to rig the election outcome, even though the Trump campaign knew six days before the news conference the claim was false. Here's what we know. Two weeks after the 2020 election, a team of lawyers closely allied with Donald J. Trump held a widely watched news conference at the Republican Party's headquarters in Washington. At the event, they laid out a fucking bizarre conspiracy theory claiming that a voting machine company had worked with an election software company, the financier being George Soros and Venezuela, to steal the presidential contest from Mr. Trump. Last night, one of the experts that has examined these crooked Dominion machines has absolutely what he believes is conclusive proof that in the last... 10%, 15% of the vote counted. The votes were deliberately changed. But there was a problem for the Trump team, according to court documents released on Monday evening. By the time the news conference occurred on November 19th, Mr. Trump's campaign had already prepared an internal memo on many of the outlandish claims about the company, Dominion Voting Systems, and the separate software company, Smartmatic. The memo had determined that those allegations were untrue. Well, this lawsuit was brought by a former Dominion employee, Eric Coomer, and that is a separate effort from from my work uh, for Dominion Voting Systems. I think it reminds us, though, that these facts were not just knowably false. These, These claims that the president's supporters are making were not just knowably false. They were easily knowably false. And the effort that went into assembling this memo seems to have involved a simple Google search. It was very easy and obvious that what we were trying to, what they were trying to portray as reality was simply not true. The court papers, which were initially filed late last week as a motion in a defamation lawsuit brought against the campaign and other by a former Dominion employee, Eric Coomer, contain evidence that officials in the Trump campaign were aware early on that many of the claims against the companies were fucking baseless. And where the case stands exactly is they've come in and said, dismiss it. And he said, uh, 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 I have evidence and here is the evidence. So he's trying to prove that Sidney Powell, Mike Lindell of MyPillow and Rudy Giuliani knowingly or recklessly disregarded, very important here, because they may say we never saw the memo, the facts and made false statements, namely the ones that you've outlined. So this immeasurably strengthens his case. 
and it's for hundreds of millions of dollars, and that's not hyperbolic given the potential damages to Dominion here. The documents also suggest that the campaign sat on its findings about Dominion, even as Sidney Powell and other lawyers attacked the company in the conservative media and ultimately filed four federal lawsuits accusing it of vast conspiracy to rig the election against Mr. Trump. According to emails contained in the documents, Zach Parkinson, then the campaign's deputy director of communications, reached out to subordinates on November 13th, asking them to substantiate or debunk several matters concerning Dominion. The next day, the emails show, Mr. Parkinson received a copy of a memo cobbled together by his staff from what largely appeared to be news articles and public fact-checking services. Even though the memo was hastily assembled, it rebutted a series of allegations that Ms. Powell and others were making in public. And here's what it found. That Dominion did not use voting technology from the software company Smartmatic in the 2020 election. That Dominion had no direct ties to Venezuela or to Mr. Soros. And that there was no evidence that Dominion's leadership had connections to left-wing Antifa activists as Ms. Powell and others had claimed. President Trump's election fraud fantasy is having real life or death consequences for a Coloradan caught in that web of conspiracy theories. He is in hiding from the people who believe that the presidential election was rigged by communists, Antifa, the Clintons, George Soros, voting software companies, and a dead Venezuelan dictator. That Coloradan, Dominion Voting Systems' Eric Coomer, is fighting back tonight. He's unleashing what you might call a kraken of a lawsuit, defamation against the Trump campaign and a crowd of conservative media and political figures inside and outside of Colorado. The folks who have whipped people into a frenzy with these unsubstantiated election fraud claims. As Mr. Coomer's lawyers wrote in their motion in the defamation suit, and I quote, the memo produced by the Trump campaign shows that at least internally, the Trump campaign found that there was no evidence to support the conspiracy theories regarding Dominion. As Mr. Coomer's lawyer wrote in their motion in the defamation suit, and I quote, the memo produced by the Trump campaign shows that, at least internally, the Trump campaign found that there was no evidence to support the conspiracy theories regarding Dominion and Mr. Coomer. In plain English, it means that these morons carried on with this bullshit charade anyway at the behest of either insane fucking leader and now they're in a deep pile of shit. This lawsuit ain't going away and it could be the clearest possible path to getting to the truth. Have you seen any evidence that Smartmatic software was used to flip votes anywhere in the U.S. in this election? I have not seen any evidence that Smartmatic software was used to uh, delete, change, alter anything related to vote tabulation. Okay, folks, listen closely. That is what damage control looks like. What you just saw was a snippet of a segment that aired on at least three Fox News programs. It's a segment that debunks some of the lies about voter fraud made by Rudy Giuliani and Trump campaign lawyer Sidney Powell on those very same programs over and over and over again. So why is Fox finally incorporating a little bit of reality in its programming? Well, long after officials begged for the misinformation to stop with election workers across the country facing death threats, that segment aired after voting technology company Smartmatic demanded 
that Fox News, as well as other pro-Trump outlets like Newsmax and One America, retract claims made about their company and retain documents for a possible defamation lawsuit. Even at the time, many political observers and voters, Democratic and Republican alike, dismissed the efforts by Ms. Powell and other pro-Trump lawyers like Rudy the fucking Colludi Giuliani as a wild last-ditch attempt to appease a defeated president in denial of his loss. But the false theories they spread quickly gained currency in the conservative media and endured nearly a year later. It is unclear if Mr. Trump knew about or saw the memo. Still, the documents suggest that this campaign's communications staff remained silent about what it knew of the claims against Dominion at a moment when the allegations were circulating freely. The Trump campaign continued to allow its agents, the motion says, to advance debunked conspiracy theories and defame Mr. Coomer, apparently without providing them with their own research debunking those theories. Mr. Coomer, Dominion's one-time director of product strategy and security, sued Ms. Powell, Mr. Giuliani, the Trump campaign, and others last year in state district court in Denver. He has said that after the election, he was wrongly accused by a right-wing podcast host of hacking his company's systems to ensure Mr. Trump's defeat and of them telling left-wing activists that he had done so. I have received many death threats, and it's on a continuing basis. Um, my entire family, uh, their, their private information has been published online um, in what's referred to as doxing. Um, you know, all of my private information has been released online. Um, people have taken photos of my house. Um, people have threatened to come by and lynch me, decapitate me. They've referred to me as a traitor. Um, and it is not safe for me to, you know, go about my daily life. And, you know, even my father has received... Um, harassing letters uh, to his home. Soon after the host, Joe Altman, made these accusations, they were seized upon and amplified by Ms. Powell and Mr. Giuliani, who were part of a self-described elite strike force of lawyers leading the charge and challenging Joe Biden's victory. The Coomer character, who is close to Antifa, he specifically says that they're going to fix this election. Let me ask you about this guy, Eric Coomer. He's, I think he, he works for Dominion. He said supposedly don't worry about trump i've already uh, i've already made sure he's going to lose the election Are, is that is that true for for starters and is yes. it's true you have that you have that it's true in coomer's case he was in a position of power to actually act upon his rage against trump and trump voters what does he mean when he says trump won't win i made effing sure of that nothing on november 19th for example Ms. Powell and Mr. Giuliani appeared together at the news conference at the Republican National Committee's headquarters and placed Mr. Coomer at the center of a plot to hijack the election by hacking Dominion's voting machines. By Ms. Powell's account that day, the conspiracy included Smartmatic, Venezuelan officials, people connected to Mr. Soros, and a massive influence of communist money. And that's when the Dominion operators went in and injected votes and changed the whole system. And it affects votes around the country, around the world, and all kinds of massive interests of globalist dictators, corporations, you name it, everybody's against us except President Trump, 
and we the people of the United States of America. Donald Trump continues to falsely argue that the election was stolen from him. And in recent months, Powell and Giuliani have stuck by their claims that the election was rife with fraud. A lawyer for Giuliani said in a court filing last month that at least some of his claims of election fraud were substantially true. It was essentially a bloodless coup where they took over the presidency of the United States without a single shot being fired. Who's they in that sentence? I don't know who all the they are. But at the time that the internal report was prepared, Giuliani and Powell were both active supervisors, as he put it in his deposition, in the Trump campaign's broader plan to challenge the election results, an effort that eventually included more than 60 failed lawsuits filed across the country. While Ms. Powell soon went on her own way in claiming that Dominion had conspired to steal the election, Giuliani continued working closely with Trump and his campaign ultimately changing strategies and seeking to persuade state legislatures to overturn the popular vote. This type of case gives you a chance to set a reminder, to essentially say the facts do matter, truth does matter. There has been a massive and coordinated effort. The release of the documents was only the latest legal trouble for Mr. Giuliani and Ms. Powell, both of whom have been sued directly by Dominion for defamation. Dominion has also brought a defamation suit against Mike Lindell, the chief executive of MyPillow, for amplifying false election claims. Last month, a federal judge in Washington ruled that the cases could continue moving toward trial. About the same time, a federal judge in Detroit ordered penalties to be levied against Ms. Powell and eight other pro-Trump lawyers, Mr. Julie was not amongst them, who filed a lawsuit that sought to overturn the election results in Michigan using the false claims about Dominion. The eyes of the country are on this case as lawyers are part of the so-called Kraken lawsuits, which furthered election conspiracies now face sanctions for the first time in court. In new filings, former attorney for President Trump, Sidney Powell, claiming she and six other attorneys should avoid sanctions for spreading misinformation about the 2020 election, saying they weren't the only ones spreading false claims the election was stolen, writing, when they filed this case, members of two of the federal government's three branches, including the now former president of the United States, were insisting that there was massive voter fraud, adding millions of other Americans believed those claims and believed that their president would not intentionally mislead them. This case was never about fraud, the judge Linda V. Parker wrote in her decision. It was about undermining the people's faith in our democracy and debasing the judicial process to do so. In June, a New York court suspended Mr. Giuliani's law license, ruling that he had made demonstrably false and misleading statements while fighting the results of last year's election for Mr. Trump. Rudy has in recent months been seen shaving in public and generally stumbling about like the town drunk in an Irish novel is on a race to the bottom. This latest revelation will only grease the wheels for those who believe Rudy and Sidney Powell and the rest of these fucking reptiles all belong behind bars. And now for the main event. The slow drip, drip, drip of revelations about Trump crimes continue to come forth unabated. Whether from Robert Costa and Bob Woodward's new book, Peril, 
or the various lawsuits plaguing the president and his inner circle. There is no hiding for the former president. Trump will get his one way or the other. In that light, I've asked Mother Jones Washington Bureau Chief David Korn to come back onto Mea Culpa and help us untangle the truth from the bullshit. He joins us today as Donald Trump tries desperately to change the subject around his mental state in the aftermath of January 6th as written in peril and as the GOP is beginning to finally whisper that their orange god is nothing but an empty suit and giant liability. So let's go now to that conversation. So David, the new uh, Bob Woodward Robert Costa book entitled Peril about Trump's attempt to hold on to power has some shocking and revelatory moments, painting a damning picture of Trump's mental health. Now, General Milley was so concerned that Trump would go rogue that he took actions to prevent the former president from ordering a full-on military strike or launching of nuclear weapons. Now, Woodward and Costa write that Milley, deeply shaken by the January 6th assault on the Capitol, was certain that Trump had gone into a serious mental decline in the aftermath of the election, with Trump, now all but manic, screaming at officials and constructing his own alternate reality about endless election conspiracies. My question to you is, how can we reasonably allow this man to possibly come or even think about becoming president again, knowing all that, knowing all that we all know right now. And granted, we do live in a democracy and it's the decision of the voters. But what if those voters have been like I was brainwashed and the party that supports Trump maneuvered to bury any possibility of his prior impeachment? Is there no political or moral redress? I mean, we can just put a madman and criminal back in the White House. It seems insane and without logic. What's your thoughts on this? You know, as you were doing the intro, Michael, um, I went back to and Googled because I've written on this subject a few times. And just looking at the headlines of things that I've written, you know, from October of 2017, why you really should be terrified about Trump and nuclear weapons. November 2017, does Congress think Trump can be trusted with nuclear weapons? Um, December 2016, right after he was elected, does Trump believe nuclear war is inevitable? August 2017, can anyone stop Trump from launching nuclear weapons? Now, for some of us, uh, I, I know you've had your, your, your conversion. For some of us, the idea of Donald Trump and nuclear weapons has always been pretty damn scary. This is a guy... And I think you can speak to this. I wrote about from the outside before the election, the 2016 election, who seems to me to be motivated uh, by vengeance more than anything else. You know, he just always wants to have, get revenge and get vengeance. And I just worried that that temperament with, with anyone with nuclear weapons is just a, a really bad, bad mix. And, you know, throughout his presidency, when we could see his erratic behavior, his temper, his lack of knowledge about nuclear weapons and just about foreign policy in general. I know it made me very uh, worried about him being in charge. Um, and, you know, now we have these new revelations uh, that General Milley uh, was particularly uh, concerned after the January 6th insurrectionist riot that Trump um, incited. And, and, and the book also sh shows us that he really was, when he was asked 
to take steps to do something about it, he chose not to. He just kept watching, um, watching it on TV. Um, so it's, I think, uh, you know, one of the fundamental issues with Trump in 2016 and through his presidency and, and will be again in 2024, should he choose to run? I mean, a big issue that we have, and I know, and I've written about this, and foreign policy wonks have written about this, is if you think about it, should one man, any man, even a sane man, be allowed to launch a nuclear war on his own say-so without any intervention? What Milley did here that is what you might say wrong technically is that he put himself in the chain of command. Uh, the joint, The chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff under U.S. law, doesn't have a role in whether we decide to launch nuclear weapons or not. That, If the order comes from the president to the launch person who travels with him, uh, it's supposed to happen. It doesn't go through the other generals. It doesn't go through strategic air command. Now, they can try to intervene, and, uh, and, someone, and whoever he orders might not accept the order, but uh, it's really up to one man alone. That's why there are some people out there who, for years, even prior to Trump, have advocated that that decision has to be made jointly with the vice president, with members of Congress, with the generals. In some way, there needs to be a process so that one person alone can't do this. And people say, well, you know, we may not be time to do that. Well, actually, we have a nuclear arsenal that even if there was a first strike against us, uh, we would have enough to survive to to return the first strike, so no one could take us out, thinking that there'll be a delay in making this decision. But that's the policy issue. Um, so, you know, what would happen again? Should Trump get elected and be put in this position again? Uh, I don't know. Our system allows a crazy person to become president, and at this point, it allows a crazy person to fire nuclear weapons totally on his own decision which is why maybe some of these proposals, and they've been proposed as legislature, legislation, excuse me, should be considered now before Trump gets his finger on the button again. So that uh, should, and I think it's unlikely, but should he become president again, you know, Millie will not, would not have to do this sub Rosa. Right. Hi folks, Michael Cohen here. We've got an amazing sponsor for this episode, The Jordan Harbinger Show. Things can get pretty intense discussing American politics, so if you need a break from the news cycle and want to hear incredible storytelling that is both fascinating and actionable, check out last Thursday's episode with Pulitzer Prize winning author Charles Duhigg. He discusses his new book, Smarter, Better, Faster, The Secrets of Being Productive in Life and Business. You'll leave this episode inspired and ready to get back to work no matter what you do. The show covers such a wide range of topics through weekly interviews with heavy-hitting guests. And there are a ton of episodes you'll find interesting since you're a fan of this show. Like the July 6th interview with Master Pickpocket Barb Arno on how he spots a mark. There's an episode for everyone though, no matter what you're into. The show covers stories like how a professional art forger made millions of dollars while being chased by the feds and the mafia. Jordan's also done an episode on how to deal with corrupt and crooked bosses, addiction, brain chemistry, and so much more. The podcast covers a lot, but one constant is his ability to pull useful pieces of advice from his guests. 
I promise you, you'll find something useful that you can apply to your own life, whether it's an actionable routine change that boosts your productivity or just a slight mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. We really enjoy the show and we think you will as well. So search for The Jordan Harbinger Show, that's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Now, here's where this becomes problematic. I sit and I watch television and I listen to all the talking heads pontificate about what General Milley did, whether it was right, whether it was wrong. And I think you actually just summed it up better than they. First of all, it's problematic because Trump is going to exploit this. General Milley did not have, according to, you know, what we, what you just stated, he did not have the power or the right to do what he did. No different than there are books. Plus, I've also um, been told that other members of the Trump cabinet and administration, when Trump had them in the Oval Office, they would see what was on his desk. And if there were things that were on his desk that they were afraid of, not written or produced by them, they would take it off of his desk. <laughs> That's sick shit. Yes. No, no, no. I want you to think about it. It would be like your kid coming in and taking something off of your desk because they're afraid that you're going to be upset about it. That's not normal. But why will Trump exploit this? Because he's already calling for General Milley to be tried for treason. Yeah. Right? Now, do I think Milley should be tried for treason? No. Do I think he overstepped his boundaries? Yes. Then again, has Trump overstepped his boundaries since literally going down the escalator in order to announce his campaign? Yes. But does one right make a wrong? No. And this is what gives the fodder to all of these Trumpists, these mm -hmm. loyalists out there. That's right. Fuck these people. It's not right. He didn't have the right to do that. Yeah. Donald Trump was our president. Only he can make the determination of whether or not we go to war. And one of the problems that we have with Trump is inherently, and I know this better than anybody, Donald Trump is a weakling. He's a coward, both mentally and physically. He happens to be a weakling. And so for him, the projection of strength and power is tantamount to anything because that's what he tries to project, that he is this hulking man who has strength and power beyond that of mortal beings, right? It almost reminds me of the early version of Superman with Steve Reeve, right? Yes. Where, but Donald does not. And one of the things that he's going to do is he's going to rally up his base again. They're going to raise more money off of this. General Milley had no right to do this. It just goes to show you that once again, they were doing things, people were doing things to hurt me, to damage me so that I would not win the re-election or that the re-election would be stolen from me. And you that's know, a problem. Yeah, you know what this makes me think of, uh, Michael, is that you know, a lot of our system, you know, beyond the nuclear chain of command, a lot of our system depends on good faith, you know, rules, not laws, standards, uh, traditions, you might want to call them, that we don't expect, you know, with politicians, we expect politicians to lie a little. We don't expect them to lie about every fucking thing, right? We don't expect them to lie about every damn thing. We expect politicians to have a degree of civility it's not in the constitution you have to be civil but we kind of ex 
expect our elected officials to to have these things. Um, you know, even in terms of ethics in the White House, uh, there are ethics laws that people are expected to meet certain ethics requirements to disclose things, to get rid of stocks if they pose a conflict of interest. But there are no penalties if you don't. There are no ethics police that come and round you up and put you in jail if you don't divest of a conflict of interest. Uh, so a lot of our system actually works on this sort of grease. It's not a hard and fast law, but it's it's a standard operating procedure. It's, it's routine practice or best practice. And we, you know, and the system didn't envision someone like Donald Trump coming in and whether it was what he did with Zelensky, whether it's inciting a riot on January 6th, or, you know, it doesn't envision a vengeful, as you would say, scared man, you know, launching nuclear, uh, nuclear war for no good reason. It's just like the system basically says we can't compute that, right? It just doesn't compute, so we don't need rules for that. Well, it turns out, actually, uh, we might. And if we're going to have a, a part of the public that's going to be behind someone like that, then the rest of the public, if they can't keep these keep someone like that from power, has to try to set up more official, more regular, and stricter guardrails. The, uh, so that, you know, in this case, you, you know, you can't um, launch a nuclear war on your own or a president, presidential candidate has to relive the, re, uh, release their tax returns. It was a tradition. And like everyone did it. We never thought someone wouldn't do it until Trump came along. So um, that's why I think, you know, the Democrats, you know, because the Republicans are now a cult of personality and, 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 and useless on this front, need to try to, you know, put in as many guard, guardrails as they can, you know, to the people who, who Trump is playing to that you just, you know, kind of described. I, I don't think it, in some ways, I don't think it matters what happens. He has a grievance every single day about something. There's a revelation or there's bullshit. Like yesterday, you know, the, the bullshit story was that the White House was cutting Joe Biden off in midstream when he speaks because they think he's a doddering idiot. So there's someone in the White House with his finger on that button cuts off the audio feed. Yeah, no, not true. But that was like, the, you know, the, the, the whipped up story yesterday. And today it's Trump going after Millie. Um, the base, his base is so, well, let's call them trigger happy. You know, you know they, they're so easily triggered you know, that any other day Trump can, you know, take an event that's happening in real life and warp it for these purposes, or just make something up. So yeah, you know, he's going to play this to the hilt, say there is a deep state, the details don't matter. You know, what he did with what, what, what General Milley did with China, in which he, you know, thought that the Chinese looking at Trump might think that he was going to attack and opened up a line of communications that was already existed with, with Chinese military leaders. Well, actually, we now know that, uh, that Esper and other parts of the national security bureaucracy were doing the same thing. So let's all just be talking to one another so nothing happens by accident. That happens all the time. That is not treason. If, you know, you know there was no order to, to, to um, attack China, Millie wasn't handing over plans or intentions. It was like, okay, I want to make sure nothing goes wrong by accident here. So on that front, you know, Trump calls that treason. That's just Trump being Trump and, and, and lying once again 
to his people who are not discerning enough to read, you know, the deeper, fuller accounts to see that that it is another part of the con game. And I don't know, Michael, I don't think there's any way to stop that. You know, there. Well, David, the problem, the problem, David, is that there is no way to stop it. But the way that we start to stop it is media has to take a responsibility in terms of getting the facts 100% accurate. Because you know you're not going to get accuracy from Trump from his acolytes and his supporters. You're not. So the fact that they're making statements that Millie did, in fact, um, speak to the Chinese and provide them with possible advance notice of an attack. And so, but where I, I want to just go back and, uh, talk about honor. You are a hundred percent correct. 44 presidents prior to Donald J. Trump honored something which is a long-standing tradition going back to the 18th century when we took from Charles Louis de Second Dot the spirit of the laws, which ultimately really was the foundation for how our forefathers created the Constitution. But it never expected that you would have someone who is as narcissistic, sociopathic, mm-hmm. ignorant, and arrogant as Donald Trump, somebody who legitimately wanted to be not a president for the citizens of this country, but rather their ruler. And it's a real problem. I mean, hence the the entire concept of the trias politica, right? The legislative, executive and judicial branch, each one having equal power so that one doesn't become too powerful or more powerful than the others and do exactly what Donald and others did on January 6th. That was nothing shy of an insurrection in an attempt to overthrow this government. And what bothers me uh, is also the fact that our politicians on both sides of the aisle have done nothing yet as far as holding everybody to account. I don't understand why there's not a, a bigger um, investigation into this and why people have not been subpoenaed. The fact when I listen to whether it's the ranking member or if it's the, the chair say, well, if they just choose not like what happened with uh, Anthony um, Blinken yesterday, well, if these folks choose not to show up voluntarily, which they should, we, you know, we will use the subpoena power of this of this um, chamber in order to bring them in. First of all, anybody that doesn't come in and provide the testimony should automatically be relieved of their position immediately. Number two, if that's the case and you already know it, don't say it. Just fucking do it. Bring them in. And if, in fact, that they don't come in, I would go so far as to have the sergeant at arms grab them, duct tape them, sit their asses in the chair and put them on camera for nine hours sitting there with no break and see whether or not they want to answer questions. Because you know what? You're coming back tomorrow, too. And we're going to duct tape your ass to the same chair for another nine hours until you speak. You're obligated to speak. You're not working for yourself. You work for the people of this country and they're demanding these answers. That's what I would do. But so far, nobody does anything. Well, I'm not sure I can endorse your duct tape solution, but I. All right, me too. I maybe I'm taking it a little too far, but I but, say uh, yeah, I well, say you grab them and you, that you put them in the yeah, chair there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For people on Twitter, we should just say that duct tape is a metaphor here. Okay. Yes, uh, it we're, is. We're not. We're not accusing. We're not. We're not suggesting that anyone actually bound and gag like Bobby Seal at the Chicago Seven trial. But um, <laughs> but, but I but I do. Yeah, I mean I I agree that I you know that I think. You know, Democrats, you know, 
all they, they, they try to do impeaching Trump twice. And I thought the case the second time was very, very strong that they, they still, you know, feel like they're they have to behave in what they consider to be a responsible adult, mature way, uh, which means, you know, not being excessive. And I, I think, in, you know, what, 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 what we're learning and what we're seeing and one lesson of the last few years is that you really have to meet authoritarianism or, you know, want to be authoritarianism head on, directly on. And so, yes, this, you know, if you want to call it, you know, they, you know, they will call it an insurrectionist action. Okay, well, then let's treat people like insurrectionists. And we have, yes, you know, the FBI has arrested over 500 people. And it seems that that part of the investigation is, is going pretty well. But in terms of looking at what was happening in the White House, and we have a little more information from the new Woodward book uh, about what went on inside. I mean, again, that's not sworn testimony. It's not from witnesses with names. But, you know, in terms of bringing in uh, you know, uh, uh, Representative Meadows, who was chief of staff, who was there, Kellyanne Conway, who apparently uh, was giving advice uh, to Trump, which he didn't take during that uh, uh, seditious riot, that, you know, saying, okay, you know what, we're not going to play this sort of subpoena, subpoena, take you to court game, we're going to subpoena you, if you don't come in, we're going to try, you know, have, have a, um, you know, there's a particular name for it now, but we're going to have the sergeant of arms, use these you know, contempt proceeding powers of Congress and, and bring you in. And that's just it. And if you do that a couple of times, maybe other people will, you know, become a little more cooperative. But yeah, it's, you know, this is what I said throughout a lot of, you know, stories about the Russian investigation and the Russian attack. I do believe there are some things that are so egregious and, and even hard to process. I think it's hard to process that Vladimir Putin, you know, had a COVID operation against the U.S. election that was, I'm not saying the only factor, but was a factor in determining who became president of the United States. I think that's a lot, that's really hard, I think, for people to accept. And I think it's hard to accept that this riot wasn't a spur of the moment thing. I'm not saying that Trump you know, took out maps and said, Proud Boys go this way, Oath Keepers go that way, and I want you attacking at 2 p.m. But there was certainly, and if you look at what Steve Bannon was saying in days up to um, the, the riot publicly, and what Woodward and Costa are reporting, you know, from private sources, um, it was, there was a clear plan. The plan was to stop the count on January 6th and then, find, and then figure out what to do next. You know, just figure out, we got state legislatures in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Republicans there. If we can stop things, then we can figure out how to get them to rig the election uh, in, in our favor and send in a new slate of electors. But the first thing we got to do is get is create that opportunity. And so bringing people to Washington, bringing known extremists and fanatics to Washington, saying it's going to be a wild event, saying you have to fight like hell. It's combat by trial. All these things that they said. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I'll the, and, and I'll see you in the Capitol. And I'll see you in the Capitol. I mean, I, uh, for, you know, for, I'm, I'm writing a book about Republicans and extremism. And I went back. Um, and it happened to me on September 11th, two, a few days ago. And I went back and I looked again at the New York Times 40-minute long video called Day of Rage, which I saw when it came out. It just takes hundreds, if not thousands of videos, mainly from the rioters, and creates this 
support, you know, narrative of what happened. And you see them going there in the, you know, getting into the Capitol and in the Capitol, and they have an intention. They have a plan. They have a goal. The goal is to stop the count. It's not just that we're mad. And, and, and it wasn't that we want to put pressure on members of Congress or Mike Pence to do this. You know, like you, could, you can imagine a peace rally out front, which people say, you members of Congress, you must stop this, you know, because we think that something wrong happened. OK, I would say that's crazy. But nevertheless, that would be legal and yet would be part of the plan. But they a lot of them went there knowing that if they could, you know, into that, they, that there was a chance they could intervene physically, actually, not just be on the outside shouting in. And so, this was Trump's army. He marched. Hence why, hence why they came in wearing combat gear, Kevlar hat, helmets, baseball bats, steel pipes, guns, bear spray, zip ties, and so on. The it oath, is exactly the Oath Keepers had a whole cache of weapons stashed over the river in Virginia because the you know they, they were afraid of the weapons laws in DC waiting to get a signal from Trump like take prisoners then they would rush in with these weapons so they're individuals weapons but this was an organized group and they're being charged with conspiracy in terms of being arrested related to January 6th so um so this I think it's hard I think it's hard for a lot of Americans to wrap their heads around this idea that even if you don't like Trump, that he or Bannon, people around him, had this notion that they could actually stop this and then find a way to steal the election. Um, So, David, David, let me ask you this, because my question remains, why none of this material was presented at an impeachment hearing to keep Trump from holding future office ever again? Right. What can be done with this information now? You know, some people will say, oh, too little, too late. You know, I say he's not running. Others say that he is. But is there any possibility to charge Trump with his attacks on democracy if what's reported in the book bears truth? Yeah. First, let me ask you this. Uh, It's a side note because you just said this. Why do you, you know, briefly, or you can go along. It's your podcast. Why do you think he's not running? And then I'll get back to the question at hand. Because I know Donald well enough to know what's going on. First of all, he is petrified of losing again, and he knows that he will. You see, the difference between, uh, you know, an insane person and a sociopath like Donald is even though he's trying to pretend as if the election was stolen, he knows deep down and he's convincing himself. That's what makes him sociopathic. He's convincing himself that he won. He needs to do that. But deep down inside, he knows he lost. He knows he's a loser and it's killing him that big badass Donald fucking Trump lost her sleepy Joe Biden. He cannot fathom this loss. It, it shreds in his soul, right down to the core, if you could find it through that 500 pounds of fucking burgers and ice cream, right? But at the end of the day, right, he knows that he will lose again. And so right now, what is he doing? He's actually making money on the grift. The grift is yep. really the big lie, number two, 2.0. He's seeing all he needs to do is say, we need, you know, I was talking to this guy the other day who happens to be a journalist. And during a 20 minute conversation, he got three pings to his text message um, on his cell phone from Trump 
asking for money. Now, these things are free to send out. They're relatively free. And he's sucking up millions and millions of dollars from people who don't have a pot to piss in that were living off of the COVID stimulus package. They're turning over their hard-earned money to him for what? So that he could pay for the gas in his 727? So that he could, you know, pay off some of the debt that he's going to owe on his IRS taxes? I mean, that's what he's doing this for. And he just wants to continue to see his name in the paper. He's loving the fact, whether it's good press or bad press, he's loving the fact that he's being uh, talked about. But really, I want to ask you that question, though. If, in fact, of what was reported in the book is accurate and correct, should he or can he be charged? Now, I, you know, I did write a piece a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I just said I have a new newsletter out uh, called This Land, in which I think this appeared in the newsletter. People can go to davidcorn.com to sign up for it. But uh, enough of the plug. I, I, I talked to um, Norm um, Eisen, who worked with the Democrats in the first impeachment, but he's you know a well-known ethics lawyer. And, uh, and I kind of said, the question wasn't so much about the insurrection. It was about Trump generally trying to rig the election, you know, you know, uh, undermine the election. And there are a number of laws uh, that would, which he might have violated in, when he was leaning, in the, leaning on the Justice Department to say the election was fraudulent uh, and or trying to, you know, get the people in Georgia to, you know, declare the election fraudulent so they can be overturned down there. The, you know, there are actions like that that he's taken that are subject to a bunch of federal laws. And, and, and there are people who worked with him at the Justice Department, you know, below Bill Barr, who wouldn't cooperate on this, who might be at risk, too, for this, particularly in terms of conspiracy charges. So um, I would hope. I don't know if it's happening. I can't find this out, whether the uh, Justice Department is really looking at those possible prosecutions of former Justice Department people and or Trump. Uh, I know it's been under consideration. I don't know if it's really taking off there. Uh, and then when it comes to the, you know, the insurrection, um, it, it's kind of interesting. I mean, it, it's certainly malevolent, malevolent neglect that is not doing what he should have done in terms of turning off the riot or trying to stop and, and intervene is not in and of itself a crime. It, it is something that is obviously impeachable, and that's one of the charges that was made in the second impeachment that the Republicans refused to support. Um, it would be, I, I think it may be hard, I mean, I mean, I'm not the lawyer here, but I think it might be hard to criminally come up with that. There is, you know, a portion of the, of, of the Constitution that says that if you try to overthrow the government, you can't hold federal office. So, you know, how that gets, it's never been invoked against the president, how that gets invoked, who does it, who has the power to do that. I don't know. I mean, I know that people like Jamie Raskin, uh, the Congress uh, man, has, uh, have been looking at that, whether that leads to anything in terms of legislation or any, any other means. I don't know. Um, but I do think this goes back to sort of our earlier conversation. The founders, the founders of, of our republic get, didn't envision you know, 40% of the public supporting a madman. They just did, you know, Alexander Hamilton did not think about that. And he didn't think about, well, what if there's an insurrection and the president doesn't do anything and lets it happen because it benefits him? 
They, 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 that's not in the Federalist Papers. <laughs> they didn't really think of that. And um, so, I mean, I, I, I hope you're right that he was running again. And I hope you're right that if he if he did, he, he won't do that because he knows he would lose. And um, I, I do think that the Justice Department under Merrick Garland should be looking at every possibility of, 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 of prosecuting crimes uh, on this front. And maybe there are crimes that would go into the White House. Go, so, go, David, maybe not. David, David, yeah. here's what we know. After the four years of Captain Chaos sitting in there, there are federal crimes that exist that Donald would be charged with that would certainly do to him what was done to me. Yeah. Incarceration. All right. Um, the problem is so far that they have not charged him with these with these crimes. There always seems to be looking for the next bigger crime. They're trying yeah. to turn around. And, you know, you you don't need to kill 10 people to be a murderer. One is enough. And so and, and the fact, the the other, fact that... But to, but to continue that metaphor, you don't need to succeed in killing that one person to go to jail, right? You just need to, that's correct. to try. You know, people keep saying, well, Attempted. You, know, you know, look at Zelensky. He didn't really get what he wanted. Well, he still tried to extort him. But the point I'm trying to make is two, is twofold. The first is that the DOJ under Merrick Garland needs to seriously, somebody needs to light a match under his ass and Lisa Monaco's. They need so much. They need to move. They need to do something because the general, the public are continuing to lose faith. In our Justice Department, something that Donald was very, very good at destroying, you know, and we were also in our earlier conversation talking about the media. And I find the media to be, and you and I have had this conversation, we've been on the, the friendship line, we've been on the, the faux line, uh, and so on. The media gets it wrong. And the media gets it wrong all too often. And take somebody like Donald Trump, and I want my listeners to hear this because this is the Donald Trump playbook 101, all right? What he does is you make a mistake. And the second, David, that you make the mistake, he is already jumping all over it. Fake news, fake yeah, news. Yeah. They made a mistake about this. Then therefore, everything that comes out of their mouth is fake. And that's how, again, you undermine a democracy. The first thing you do is you attack the free press. The second thing you do is to start stifling people's constitutional, the constitutional rights. Like, let me just use me as the example. Um, I don't know how many stories about me starting with the steel, that piece of shit document, the steel dossier had been written about me um, that are inaccurate. I mean, you know, one, and we've talked about this, you know, one between you and I in April, um, April 20th of 2018, you even went so far as to tweet. Michael Cohen says he's never been to Prague. He told me a different story with a link to this Mother Jones story. And you again, you and I have had this conversation. I don't want that my, my listeners to think this is out of the, the blue, right. but I've never been to Prague. Right. And what bothered me the most is that the FBI and all of our law enforcement knew that within 24 hours. I was in Los Angeles right. during that time. I had never met with Russian compromats. And then because... Even like, for example, MSNBC, uh, I, I'm on it all the time. Brian Stelter comes up. Oh, well, he was cultivating. What happens? Everybody puts their own twist on it. You keep adding to somebody else's 
inaccurate information and false story. So he starts talking about cultivating business with Russia and so on. And that, uh, you know, he references the Steele dossier as if it was an accurate, legitimate document, even though everybody knew that it was garbage. It was it was um, uh, uncorroborated. And the information that was provided was inaccurate. And yet the story just continued to perpetuate. Even so far, then McClatchy, these two jerk-offs, Peter Stone and Greg Gordon, now all of a sudden it's proven, and whether it's Mueller who said I was never in Prague, the yeah. FBI, all of our law enforcement, you know, Prague, the government itself, now all of a sudden Peter Stone comes up with a story about my phone pinging off of a cell tower in uh, right outside of Prague in Czechoslovakia. Yeah. Right. And that the Mueller story does not turn around and say that I had not entered. It just says that they didn't have information that I was in Prague. I mean, the problem is the McClatchy's. I even had not just you. You're not the only one who said that I told them, which I know for a fact I didn't because I've never been to that part of the world. I've never been to Czechoslovakia. They then said I came in through Germany. I've never been to Germany. Right. I've never been to Czechoslovakia. I've never been to Prague. Megan Tui of the New York Times comes up with the same bullshit. And then I call up the, the editor and I say, it's not true. Well, she says that it is. Well, now all of a sudden, again, you're rebuilding the story. And I say this not as an affront to you, right? It would be nice. I would like to find out, you know, where the story came from, you know, from you. But what bothers me the most is fucking Trump now takes that story, takes the fact that it's inaccurate and right. he plays off of it to this crowd of sycophants, these right. people that want to believe that you, David, that Peter Stone, that Greg Gordon, that Megan Toohey, and a slew, Brian Stelter, that a slew of other reporters, are they're all out to get him. And they're willing to go through me, to go through Joe, to go through Carter Page, to go through Papadopoulos, anybody in order to wreck you know, his presidency and his chance for re-election. And that's not true. Yeah. And so it's this media frenzy me that's chance. actually yeah. helping Trump. Yeah, give me, uh, I agree in your large point on the very particular, uh, you and I have been through this and I, I, I won't bore the listeners, but uh, when we talked, I mean, I had notes. I thought you said something. You say you didn't say that. And that was the, the, the basis of, I think, of our you know, disagreement. I based what I wrote on our, on our conversation that I, and someone else in another journal wrote the same thing so i don't know i i don't know i know i know say i know what i thought you said to me but i will say you know people were not on video but if they were on video they see my book behind me with russian roulette and which when when, when i wrote that with michael Lizakov, we said clearly there was no evidence that you were in prague in, 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 in when this regarding the steel documents and i do think the interesting thing about the steel uh dossier well it put you in Prague and said things about you that weren't true and that were, you know, chit-chat. And I still, to this day, I have no idea, you know, where, you know, how that particular story came about and how, you know, it got in there. But uh, if you look at the first Steele dossier, which was written in memo, which was written in June of 2016, before we knew anything, he's talking about a Russian plan to uh, attack the election to help Trump win. And that was like not even on the fucking table yet so he got wind of something that we should have known about earlier on maybe it was the the the, the infamous meeting at the at trump tower but, but to your larger point i mean i fully agree with you i fully agree with you trump is marvelous 
at finding one iota, and it may not even be fully true, and then using it to make this gigantic indictment of not just per, that one person or outlet, but the entire media. And I'll say this you know, from, from, from my side uh, as a journalist, uh, uh, Michael. Okay, so to that book, Russian Roulette, three, let's say 300 pages in, in the book. Let's just say every page has, I don't know, five facts. Well, let's just say 10 facts. Make it easy. So 3,000 facts in that book. Okay, if I had, if I bet 99%, I'm, you know, Isakov, me, we make mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes. But if I bet, if, we have, if, we're, if we're 99% correct on everything, that still means 1% of those 3,000 facts, which would be, what, 30 facts, would be wrong. So you could do a whole list. Imagine doing this, going through the book. Here are 30, here, here are two pages of things they got wrong. Or you, Trump, you could just do, here's one thing they got wrong. So you can't believe the 2,999 other facts. And so that's the Donald Trump playbook, it, David. It is, and that's and, the point that I'm trying to warn you, and, and, and my listeners, why, all the media that's out there. Yeah. This is exactly what he does. You right. know, when using your using your scenario, you have 30 wrong facts in a book. Now you don't. I'm just saying if hypothetically yeah, you yeah. did, he'll have somebody write a book on how those 30 facts that you got wrong yeah. is the reason why that he's being attacked and so yeah. on, despite the fact on all of the other stuff that's legitimate. He has now delegitimized all of the other 2,970 yeah, yeah, facts that are in there. And, let's right? think about, and well, he's well, done let's, it successfully. Yeah. And let's, you know, and let's also expand this. Now, you know, why does he do this? Because this is what authoritarians do. They don't want any competing narrative or any competing reality out there. They want to control what they say is true. Because if you can get, you know, enough of the public, you know, in Germany, we saw it was a majority of the public in under Trump's day, you know, I don't know, 30 percent, whatever it is, what it is. If you can get a significant enough of the public to think that only you are the reliable source of information, then when people report on you and say you didn't pay taxes or you you attack this woman or you wanted to use nuclear weapons, you know, that part of the public, you're, you're basically inoculated, right? It's like getting a vaccination against the truth. You are not, you are inoculating yourself by saying you can't, because of this thing or that thing, you can't believe anything they say. That is the playbook of all authoritarians and all tyrants from time immemorial. And he was really good at that. And he was very good at not, you know, you look at anybody else, you look at the way that Obama or George W. Bush or even Clinton, you know, attacked the media when they thought they were being written about, you know, unfairly or inaccurately. It was never. Well, let me just say this. Let me say this. The media has to do a better job and people have to start um, telling the truth as well, because it's very easy to control the narrative when you're lying, because it creates so many clickbaits. Payment apps like Venmo, Cash App, and others make payments easy. But you may want to adjust your privacy settings to prevent them from sharing your personal information. A recent report found that payment apps share user data with third parties such as banks, fraud monitoring services, and some even share it with marketing firms. Your private information is more exposed than ever and can leave you vulnerable to cyber threats. The all-in-one protection of Norton 360 with LifeLock makes it easy to have protection in the digital world. 
Device security blocks cybercriminals from stealing your personal information. VPN with bankrate encryption helps keep information you send over Wi-Fi safe. LifeLock Identity Theft Protection monitors your personal information and alerts you to potential threats. Now, no one can prevent all cybercrime and identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but if you have Norton 360 with LifeLock as I do, you can opt into cyber safety. So sign up today and save 25% or more off your first year by going to norton.com slash Cohen. That's 25% off Norton 360 with LifeLock at norton.com slash Cohen. But I do want to move on for a second here, because despite what we've just been discussing, the reality of a Trump 2024 campaign is growing louder every day. Now, again, I'm going to say it again. I don't believe he's running. I think it's a grift. But that um, that campaign conversation is growing louder every single day. And it seems almost absurd that we have to go through this bullshit again with him, and even more absurd that he could potentially be the first president to serve non-consecutive terms since Grover Cleveland in 1892. Yes. Now, Cleveland, by the way, was a Civil War draft-dodging rapist who fathered a child with one of his victims. Right Now, that said, four years is an eternity in politics, and Trump could find himself behind bars, especially if I had something to do with it. Or who knows what could happen in the intervening time, considering what's happened in just the past year. If you had to handicap 2024 as the professional yeah. that you are, who's running against Joe Biden and why? Well, you're assuming Joe Biden's running again. And I don't know if that's an open assumption. And if he oh, if he doesn't, and then, you know, it could be health reasons. It could be other reasons. He's, you know, he is older. Um, I, I mean, I have no idea what would happen on the Democratic side. I don't think he automatically goes to Kamala Harris. I'm talking about more the Republican side. With Trump, I have to say, I, I'm, of, I'm of two minds. I accept your analysis that he he's terrified that he's lost and terrified of losing again, that he's a big baby at heart and that he talks a good game. But when push comes to shove, he's gutless. Uh, I've never seen him do anything that's taken any any courage or bravery or any fortitude. And so I, I, I understand your line of analysis. Um, I also um, understand, and you know, and what I've written about and what we talked about earlier is that I think he is just so motivated by by vengeance, whether it's revenge against the Manhattan elite when he was in New York City, or, or revenge against Barack Obama. Uh, for the 2011 White House Correspondents' Dinner, where Obama mocked him. That's why he ran in um, 2016. Uh, and the idea of him running to basically destroy others and get his vengeance is something that I think, I'm not sure it will win the day, but, I, but my guess is that's a powerful impulse within him. But I do 100% agree with you that... Uh, that right now, and that you know, and, and you know, there can be overlapping motivations here. That it's all about the graft and, and, and the grift. That they're just making, bringing tens of millions of dollars, you know, for his political operation, which he can funnel to family members, friends, and others, and use it for his travels, and use it to keep himself in the news and and, and pretend to be relevant. Um, that he, you know, there is absolutely no reason in hell for him to say he's not going to run. The idea of watching somebody else get into the spotlight, I'm sure drives him crazy as well. And so as long as he 
talks about <laughs> running or hints that he can. It, you know, it, you're, you're right. It, it totally freezes the Republican field. They, no one can do anything. There can be no right. So, sure. so J- David, David, just for two seconds, let's uh, let's just dive in for a second to some of the names that were being floated out there, which definitely made Trump sick to his stomach. The Ron DeSantis's, the Ted Cruz, the Marco Rubio's. Right. Uh, I mean, these people, the, the notion that they could be president and they became president because, in his mind, of him, drives him absolutely batshit crazy. It's the worst thing that could ever happen to him, that somebody who was, in his mind, taken under his wing and, you know, elevated themselves up in this political party is now using the Trump party, the RNC, in order to now become president. It's, I mean, it's I, incredible. I, I assume that he hates Ted Cruz to his core, that he hates Marco Rubio, and that he thinks that they're much less people than he are than he is, that they're, they're not the men, the man that he is. And the idea of them even, you know, being considered for that position um, would would drive him drive him completely, as you say, batshit crazy, to use the technical clinical term. Um, and so uh, so so you know I you know I, I accept your analysis, but I do think within that sort of sick, psychotic soul of his, there are competing impulses. You know, it doesn't mean that the one you describe at the end of the day won't prevail and determine his ultimate decision. But I do believe the desire for vengeance. I do believe the desire not to cede any attention to anyone else. You know, are are, are impulses that... Um, that are real for him and that he feels viscerally. So it may well be that, um, that there, there, there is, there is a battle for his dark soul going yeah, on. He's going to, no, no, David, he's going to play this right to the very end, like he did in 2011, uh, which I still have that letter, the one where he decides that he's not going to because of The Apprentice, because of real estate deals. But let me just move on here for a second. A new CN poll was just released showing most Americans, and it's 56%, feel that democracy is under attack. I mean, that's a staggering, yes. staggering number, with 51% of them saying that it is likely that a elected official in the United States will successfully overturn the results of a future election because their party did not win. Now, ironically, many of the respondents were Republican who believe democracy is under attack because Joe Biden did not win the presidency, yes. in their opinion, right? While Democrats worry that it's the assault on institutions from Trump's big lie and other efforts against voting rights and Republican gerrymandering that are fueling this sentiment. Now, I'm curious, hearing these numbers and the rationale behind them, if you are at all worried that these authoritarian attacks on democracy will continue and what the end result will be. Yeah, I, 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 yeah I'm glad you made that, 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 that second point, because that's what I was going to get at. You know, a lot of those people think democracy is being attacked, believe it's being attacked because the election was stolen from Trump, which, of course, is a false conspiracy theory. And um, it's, you know, in some ways, it's a very sad, sad Poll. These are sad numbers in that Americans are, are, are not just divided in what to do about climate change or tax policy or uh, any of these you know, other key issues, even how to deal with COVID. They are now divided 
on the health and safety and, and, and well-being of our democracy, with X percent believing falsely that it's not working because Trump lost, and a larger percent, you know, looking at what Trump did with the riot, but also with other things after the, the, the after the election in November to overturn the results, worried that this could happen. And you see, you know, Steve Bannon, you know, urging Republicans across the country to run for local county offices and election boards where they will have control. You see, you know, in some ways it looks like 2020 could be a dry run for 2024, 2024, 2028, in which um, local, I'll say this, it's partisan, but it is partisan, local Republicans figure out how to, you know, game the system, not just in the voting in terms of gerrymandering and voter suppression laws, which they, they're been doing for a long time, but in the counting and what they accept as legitimate wins. You saw, you know, just this week, Larry Elder had a website accusing, you know, saying there was rampant fraud in the California recall election before a vote was cast. I mean, there were mail-in votes, but before the results came in, he was already to go out there and say, fraud, fraud. And the whole point of that is they want to build a system, and they can't do it in California because it's not Republican control, build a system where they do have Republican influence and sway locally to start overturning the people's will. And that indeed is really, really frightening. And and it scares me that Republicans, you know, uh, in the, the national level who, you know, you might think, you know, they don't like Trump, but they went along with Trump, but they don't want, you know, that they have some belief in democracy uh, actually don't. And they're going to let this happen. They're going to let, let their party become the party of, of cheating and rigging and skullduggery. And my big concern, I have many big concerns, Michael. <laughs> one big concern, <laughs> one big concern yeah. is that, you know, I think Biden's doing, you know, Afghanistan is a different issue, but I think Biden's doing a lot of things right. But what I don't think he and the Democrats are doing is fully explaining the war on democracy beyond the insurrection that is happening throughout the Republican Party, not just in Trump, and particularly at the local level. It's like what they did with the Texas abortion law. You know, they, they're trying to find ways to rig things locally. And, you know, that's, you know, and, and it doesn't become a national story until almost it's too late. But it's not really for Joe Biden to be getting out there and telling this story. This is for our Justice Department. I, I keep saying... If Joe Biden doesn't put a match under Merrick Garland's ass and get him to start investigating these things, let the people of the country know that to, that the wheels of justice turn. OK, we know they turn slowly, but ultimately they come full circle. So far, there's nothing there. And I think Merrick Garland should be out there almost like the way Cuomo was every single day talking about New York. But he should be out there on a regular basis talking about the investigations that are going on. So people have faith in our Department of Justice. This is not for Joe Biden to be doing. It's for Merrick Garland. And this is where Biden really needs to light a match under his ass so that the people understand, yes, the wheels of of justice turn slowly, but eventually they come full circle. And this is where, this is where 
Lisa Monaco and, and Merrick Garland need to be out there discussing it and showing the American people that they need to have, you know, faith in our system because right now people don't have faith in the system. But I want to just move on because the hour is coming and yeah. I have two additional questions okay. for you. The first is what we were just talking about. Gavin Newsom's victory in this recall, uh, recall election was a resounding victory for the governor and a potential harbinger for the new way things will go in the midterm elections. Now, you point to specific results uh, in Orange County, which used to be a traditional GOP stronghold as a harbinger of bad news for the GOP if they continue to cling to Trump, to his behavior, as well as the MAGA agenda. Could you tell my listeners how so? Yeah, uh, I, you, know, you have the numbers in front of you. I don't have them in front of me now. But basically, Orange County, you know, if you look at the last recall election of Gray Davis, um, was it 18 years ago, 2003 or so, that gave us Arnold Schwarzenegger as governor. Um, you know, it was overwhelming of vote for, for the recall in Orange County. I don't know, was it 70, 30, 60, 40? It was just a, a gigantic number. This time around, uh, the recall uh, lost with 52% of Orange County uh, voting against it. And it just shows you that even the, you know, the traditional spots of Republican support in California have just totally disintegrated. Totally, you know, since the party, and this has gone on for the last two decades, has become more and more right-wing, even before Trump, more and more right-wing in California as in other places, uh, it's totally lost ground that is almost, you know, can't be made up. I mean, there was a government, you know, the mayor of San, you know, there are places of, in California, San Diego and other places that have Republican elected officials. They're Republican members of, com- of, of Congress. We know Devin Nunes and others, you know, Kevin McCarthy, the lead Republican. They, they come from California. There are Republican areas there. But on, on, on the state basis, the, the party is just totally lost because, um, by and large, most Republicans, you know, who were moderate or independently minded have left the party. And you look at Larry Elder, this, you know, far right conservative radio talk show host of uh, becoming the leading candidate over the mayor of San Diego, who was Republican in terms of replacing Gavin, New- Gavin Newsom. The party could not, you know, the party could not even rally around a sane Republican. Um, and so I think they're dead in the water there for a long time coming. Um, what this means in other states I don't know, but if you look at the 2020 election returns, you see that in you know a lot of suburban areas, that's where Trump and the Republicans lost a lot of ground. What that means, and that happened to in the 2018 mid- midterms, what that might mean for uh, 2022 and the mid and the coming midterms, um, I don't know. I still worry that with gerrymandering, uh, which is going to happen, hasn't happened yet, uh, the new gerrymandering that the Republicans in some states are going to really be able to uh, pick up some seats and it would be very, very, a very, very close call for the Democrats. Yeah, it's going to be tough with that gerrymandering because um, they've really figured it out. We talked about this on a previous show, how through technology they've been able to micropoint moving streets here and there, one over, two over, yeah. uh, in order to change the numbers. And that's, you're right, they're going to cheat their way into it. But let's just hope that Democrats... Um, figure out how to combat this. I mean, in basically, the right way. Democrats need. If the Democrats get fifty-one percent of the national House vote, they they'll lose the House. They need fifty-four, fifty-five percent. Seems unfair, 
but you need a, you know, it's not a super majority, but a much more decisive majority to re- retain control. So it can happen if they get enough people out. That's, that's, that's right. So David, as I said, you know, the hour goes by quickly. Yes. I have one last question for you. So Democrats just introduced a new voter rights bill. Without abolishing the filibuster, it's going to absolutely go nowhere. Uh, add to this bill the Women's Health Protection Act that would codify Roe v. Wade. How much longer will Democrats put through these bills that are largely performative without the means of passage in the Senate? I mean, what's the thought here? And is there any real chance of killing the filibuster once and for all? I, I don't think it's performative yet. I think what's happening is the Democrats are going through the steps by steps that they need to perhaps convince Manchin and Cinema uh, in, 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 in Arizona to find some carve out or some exceptions to the filibuster. I mean, look at it this way. Manchin is now a co-sponsor of this new voting rights bill in the Senate, which the House would certainly agree to. And um, the reporter who works for me at Mother Jones, Ari Berman, an expert on, on voting issues, uh, says it's a pretty good bill. You know, it's not as strong as some of the other stuff, but it, it's pretty good and goes a long way to beating back some of the Republican efforts to to rig and suppress the vote. And so this is what it's going to boil down to. It's going to boil down to a very, very, very simple question, particularly with Manchin, one of the introducers, one of the main sponsors of, the, of this bill. This is the question, Joe, Joe Manchin, what's more important, voting rights for Americans, particularly for Black Americans, or voting rights for Americans, or a Senate rule, an archaic Senate rule that's not in the Constitution. What is because you you can't have both. What's you, you're going to have to tell us, you Joe Manchin, what is more important, you uh, Senator Cinema, which is more important. So I think you know Chuck Schumer, you know this is his his strategy. Uh, I'm not saying this is, but he's in charge of the strategy. Is probably saying okay. We, we got to keep Chuck. We got to keep Joe along with us. So we got to show him that this is ultimately the choice. That you have you have a compromise bill. You worked real hard on this bill. It's your your name's on the bill. It's not going to happen. You're not going to get ten Republicans on this. I mean, if they do, great. Then we all can say Joe was right yeah. and we were wrong. And, and take and you're right. It's not going to. It's, it's not. not that's gonna not going to happen. But it's going to. But this is what it's going to boil down to. And so in the history books, Joe Manchin. Do you want to say that you favored a Senate rule over voting rights? Maybe the answer is yes. Okay, that's your legacy. We can't stop you, and it's unlikely we can primary you and get a different Democrat in West Virginia. But I do think that, you know, because of the Senate rules, because the filibuster does exist at the moment, that they have to go through this very laborious and aggravating step-by-step procedure. Um, you know, the same thing is true for every other piece of legislation now, except for the infrastructure bill, which the Democrats can pass on their own under budget rules. So um, we're going to see this play out with the voting rights bill. We're going to see this play out with other things. And my, you know, a question I have is to what degree this debate gets driven or shaped by Joe Biden. Right now, Joe Biden, and I think, you know, justifiably so, wants to put points on the board. He wants to get the infrastructure bills through. He wants to get money into the economy. That will help the Democrats in 2022. He wants to beat back COVID, uh, particularly since it's coming back again in certain ways. 
And so he's less concerned with having this debate about the filibuster. Uh, but I think at some point, his presidency is going to hinge on this. And Absolutely, 100%. If they don't control the filibuster, he's going to be a lame duck, and it's going to end up showing in the midterms. And worse than that, it'll show in 2024. Yeah. And that's obviously something that we all need to make sure doesn't happen. Right, David? Uh, yeah. So I think, I, think I think they know this. I think there are some strategies in place. And, you know, we on the outside, you know, tend to be more impatient and we you know, see the outrage. But um, and the outrage is justifiable. Uh, but, I, I, you know, I, I think it's too early to pronounce all being lost on these fronts. Of course, it's 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 important. It's our democracy. Our entire democracy stands in the hands. Look, and then I'm going to, you know, call this uh, this session of this episode quits. But I saw a stat this morning. I couldn't believe it. Seventy eight percent of Republicans. That's almost eight out of every 10 Republicans do not believe that Joe Biden is the rightful president to this day, despite all of the reports and all of the information that's out there. And so, you know, if that's the case, again, you know, Democrats really have to start hitting the ground. Um, they need to start doing a lot of a lot more grassroots uh, movements. This gerrymandering is a problem because it completely nullifies uh, any, you know, anyone of color, uh, specifically the black population from, you know, voting and for having the strength. I mean, they're moving to different areas, but yet their and, votes aren't counting in terms of where they're going. So there's so much of a mess I, I, that I mean, we remember, have. If, if 80% of them believe that Biden's not legitimate, that will let them justify so much. It will let them justify voter suppression and gerrymandering. Let them justify, you know, rigging election boards locally to overturn elections because they're thinking they're getting the rightful, you know, people in power. It just, you know, if you don't believe that the system's legitimate, it allows you to, you know, it lets you justify lying, cheating, rigging, stealing by hook or by crook. Some of it may be legal. Some of it may just be immoral. And, um, you know, 80 percent is a big figure. But if you remember, you know, but you know, I don't know if this puts it in perspective that's reassuring or or, more, or less reassuring. But if 30 percent of the public uh, are uh, self-identified Republicans, that means that a quarter of the public does not believe Biden is legitimate. That to me scary. It's pretty scary. And I mean, that's why, I, David, I, I, David, that's why media has to get it right. Our journalists have to get it right. Media has to get it right. And then let these 78%, which is a big number, but it's not a, it's certainly far from the majority of this country in terms of voting, you know, let them stick with their Fox, OAN and Newsmax and let all the other journalists actually, you know, be fair, be accurate and, you know, acknowledge when they make mistakes so that, you know, people realize that they're only human. They're entitled to make mistakes. But with that, David, I want to thank you again for joining me, you know, on Maya Culpa. I wish you well, and uh, I will definitely be seeing you again soon. Yeah, always great to talk to you, Michael. Keep up the good fight, and I'll see you on Twitter. I love it. Thank you, David. And now for today's Maya Culpa. The fact that Donald Trump is allowed to file his latest lawsuit is beyond the realm of comprehension. How is this man even allowed in a courtroom except as a defendant after all the damage he has done? To use the courts as a weapon and lie inside state and federal court is shameful enough, but Trump and his surrogates did this 60 fucking times. 
And still, very little has happened beyond the undermining of our electoral system as Trump's lies have metastasized into conspiracies about the validity of the election. Each time he uses the court, he debases it even further. Allowing this latest lawsuit to be heard is a fucking insult that we have to endure. But at the same point, this all needs to stop. How is it not against the law to abuse the court system in the manner that he did and tried to overturn an election with nothing but bullshit and innuendo? Their only alibi was to swear that they believed what they were saying. The more insane, the better it seems. And Trump must continue with this damaging charade because of the liability he faces if he admits that it was all fucking bullshit. He could be on the hook for billions of dollars. And this memo, stating what most of us already took for granted, that the Trump campaign knew that these claims were all outlandish bullshit, finally shines a light on the foul smell coming from Trump headquarters. Merrick Garland needs to take this information and open up the case against Donald Trump. Here's the first smoking gun. Let's make it stop. Let's finally hold Trump accountable. And thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Mea Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea Culpa, nothing but the truth. Pluto TV is playing the biggest movies every night this summer for free. Watch hit movies like The Matrix, G.I. Joe Retaliation, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Scary Movie, Runaway Bride, and more all summer long. Check out the biggest stars like The Rock, Keanu Reeves, Tom Cruise, Julia Roberts, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and more. Plus, Pluto TV has hundreds of free TV channels in English and Spanish featuring TV shows, news, sports, comedy, and more all for free. Download the free Pluto TV app on your favorite streaming device, including Android and Apple smartphones. Pluto TV. Drop in, watch free. Pluto TV is playing the biggest movies every night this summer for free. Watch hit movies like The Matrix, G.I. Joe Retaliation, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Scary Movie, Runaway Bride, and more all summer long. Check out the biggest stars like The Rock, Keanu Reeves, Tom Cruise, Julia Roberts, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and more. Plus, Pluto TV has hundreds of free TV channels in English and Spanish featuring TV shows, news, sports, comedy, and more all for free. Download the free Pluto TV app on your favorite streaming device, including Android and Apple smartphones. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch free. This is my main.